you know, today it's a really important lesson, um, but there's time crunch. I mean, everything's important, but um, uh, I'm hoping that I'll have enough time to have a little bit of Q&A. I know Lynn really likes that in particular, the, the questions. Um, and she says, you don't leave enough time for questions. Um, but I, I hope to. If I don't, forgive me. We'll be here for about six weeks or so. So um, what I say today undergirds a lot of what is to come. Uh, and hopefully there will at least be questions um, in the future. Um, so I'm trying to think about whether or not I want to give you the handouts now. Because when I do, as soon as I do that, you're going to just like pay attention to the handout. But I think just to take care of logistics, I'm going to hand things out. Uh, I made 20 copies. I think they're probably a little more than 20 people. Um, so if you're with someone, uh, spouse, otherwise you feel comfortable uh, sharing the handout with, maybe just take... And I should take one, uh, just take one copy. And then uh, we, I brought in the Book of Common Prayer um, because I'm going to ref- reference it. Uh, so same goes with this. There are about 20. If you're with the spouse, um, just, uh, thanks, you got it, Libby? Just take uh, take one and share. You able to get all that? Yeah. I heard yellow naked baby. Uh, <laughs> yelling. Ye- yelling, okay. Yeah. Every night, six thirty, you drought. There's a naked baby running out of the orange Um well, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the, let me just go over the outline a little bit. You have that. That wasn't one of the one things I handed out, but I think you all have it. Uh, today, the, the topic is, and I, you know, I try to be a little bit catchy, uh, but there, what the title is uh, it has something to do with what we're talking about today. Um, it's called, uh, If Anybody Needs um, an Extra... Uh, there is no health in us. I'm going to be talking primarily about um, ideas of uh, um, of guilt. Um, we start with a downer. I like to start with a downer so that I can weed the people who don't really want to be here out. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just totally joking. I hope you'll stay. You know, we have to start with a downer, like I said, because I think it undergirds, like, what's the point? What's the need for Jesus? I mean, if we just start with sort of like, uh, rainbows and unicorns and puppies and, uh, you know, things that are sentimental, you just won't understand the, 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 the need of Jesus. And a lot of you know this, you know, I mean, hopefully I'm reinforcing for a lot of you um, what you believe and why, if you've come from another church or maybe you've been here for a while. And so uh, what we're doing here is to give you a taste of what the theology, um, the theological background of the Advent is in terms of the historic uh, reformational tradition, especially as it was expressed in England in the in the 16th century and and henceforth, um, that is where we draw uh, back to from our theological lineage. And um, so, for some of you, if you're quote unquote church shopping, uh, you know, I want to give you a taste of what you might hear from the pulpit or in the teaching here. And this is a lot of sort of uh, substantive theology, but if you go to another class, it might be something a little more lighthearted. 
uh, especially if you go to some of my other classes, I do a lot with art and media, except for here, I do a lot of substance and theology. But the theology undergirds no matter what we're doing around here. Uh, if the teaching is on something a little more lighthearted, what I'm talking about here is always in the background. So there is no health in us is really about guilt. And then next session, what's Jesus got to do, got to do with it. Um, grace, the grace of God as it comes to us in Jesus Christ. And so I'm justified now what? In three weeks, justification being the idea of how can we stand as sinners before a holy God because we're justified um, by God's grace in Jesus Christ. Uh, but So now what? Um, and that is really a class about expressing our gratitude. Guilt, grace, and gratitude are really the framework for the first three sessions. And then after Easter, we'll skip Easter Sunday, because you probably want to go out to brunch. Um, we'll give a little bit more historical theology and Bible, uh, Anglican history and theology, Worshiping in the prayer book tradition, which is part of why I handed out the prayer book, so you could start to get familiar with it if you're not. We don't actually use the prayer books in church. We have bulletins to make things easier. Before we had the bulletins, you'd have to sort of go back and forth between the Bible, the prayer book, and the hymnal. And, the, and some people literally never want to come back because you've got to kind of sort of sit, kneel, and stand in the, all these books. So we put it all in a bulletin to make life easier. But it comes from the Book of Common Prayer. What does that mean? And we'll get at that in this class. And yet, we'll bring in the prayer book uh, throughout. Then the B-I-B-L-E, uh, the Bible, um, uh, the theological um, sort of underpinnings class, uh, we want to make sure that we talk about scripture and what does that mean. The history of the Advent, uh, our church has been around since 1872, so I'll give you a little bit of what is, what is the history, uh, where have we been and where are we going, on uh, what cloud of witnesses' shoulders do we stand. And then if you're interested in confirmation, reaffirmation, or reception, you don't have to be, but if you want to do one of those three things, come May 1st, we have a rehearsal the day before. Uh, you can just come to this class and come and not be confirmed. That's totally fine. If you want to just sort of use this as a, sort of a theological basics to understand what the Advent's all about before becoming a member, um, that's totally fine. But if you've... Uh, never been confirmed. If you're coming from a, a different um, uh, denominational background and you want to publicly um, confess your faith in the context of a worship service, that's on May 1st and the rehearsal will be the Saturday, the day before. So that's kind of the, the sort of overall gist. And as I said, you know, we're doing this um, to, to get across what we believe and why. And I steal that from a radio program I like called The White Horse Inn, which is uh, actually worth listening to a Christian radio program that's either syndicated or you can most easily listen to it online. And they talk about knowing what you believe and why. What is the substance and why do we believe it? Um, and so uh, the reason we do that, I think, is because a lot of the world, the, the, the dilemma is, especially in the United States, I feel like people misunderstand Christianity. They're getting Christianity wrong. Um, and that's partly our own fault. It's partly the church's own fault because we haven't been talking about what it is exactly we believe and why we believe it, and we, or we might not even know. Um, and so uh, we as Christians often don't have a solid understanding of our own faith. And then the rest of the world uh, thinks we're all a bunch of uh, hypocritical 
um, legalists or whatever, you know, which is partly right. We're all a bunch of, in our hearts, hypocrites, aren't we, you know? And that's what I've come to talk to you about, is the hypocrisy in our own hearts and why that's actually um, really important um, to wrap our minds around in terms of the Christian faith. And so the, 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 the good news and the bad news is this. And you need to understand the bad news first. And so that's why we start today with this class, uh, There Is No Health in Us, is the title. And remember I said that has to do with our guilt before God. The bad news is this, that we are worse sinners than we ever imagined. Um, we are worse sinners than we ever imagined or like to think of ourselves as being. And the good news is this, though. Jesus is a greater Savior than we could ever imagine. We're so far off that we need an even greater Savior uh, than we'd like to think. Um, and if anything kind of gets across, especially in the next three weeks, but even the three weeks, four weeks following Easter, I hope that comes clear. Even when we're talking about Anglican church history, we're worse sinners than we could ever imagine, and Jesus is a greater Savior. Uh, even when we're talking about the history of the Advent, as a parish, I hope that that theme comes across throughout. Um, and so the handout that I've given you, um, Miley Cyrus, this is from several years ago. Uh, I, I always just try to bring something in kind of funny. Uh, but uh, Miley finally admits, I need help. We're all Miley Cyrus. Um, we're all Miley Cyrus in that we all need help. And the subtitle there is The Troubled Star Secretly Hits Rock Bottom and It's Worse Than Anyone Knows. Like I said, we're greater sinners than we'd like to admit. Uh, and so therefore, like Miley Cyrus, we should all shout, I need help. Uh, I'm bottoming out in the same way. Um, and so I begin with a prayer, though. Um, I haven't prayed yet, but let us pray. If you flip over this... Uh, <clears throat> this confession um, is not actually in the, the, the prayer book that you have in front of you. There's a modified version of it that's been uh, modernized. But we've decided uh, in our morning services, uh, when we use morning prayer, that we use this one from our 1928 prayer book uh, because of the language. Not because of the Elizabethan language, but because of the, um, the ideas that come across. And um, so let us pray together with these words, saying, Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life. To the glory of thy holy name. Amen. Um, well, uh, to a lot of people, that sounds really offensive. Um, uh, I, I mean, there's a joke out there. Some people call us the sad vent. Um, 
because we use prayers like this. Um, but, you know, I actually find them really comforting in the end that I can. You know, where in 2016 do we uh, kneel and say such things as there is no health in us, um, have mercy on us, miserable offenders? Um, hardly anywhere because the rest of the world uh, is espousing messages of uh, strength and victory uh, and, uh, you know, is all about self-improvement and self-esteem. And here we're talking about getting on our knees and not self-esteem, but quite the opposite. Uh, and so if there's any help or esteem in us, it comes uh, from somewhere else. Um, so that's the prayer. <clears throat> And well, where does this come from? Uh, you know, the thing I really want to get across today, uh, two ideas. Uh, one is the law, the law, um, and who are we as people? We talked a little bit about who we are as people, but I'll get into that a little bit more. But what do I mean by the law? Now, you know what laws are. I mean, you sign contracts, you abide by laws when you, you know, leave this building and navigate streets and... Um, just in terms of how we uh, interact with people on a day-to-day -day basis, laws are in our lives and we can't avoid them. But there's also a theological law uh, that we find in the scriptures. And the primary place that you know of, that you're most familiar with, is what? Uh, the Ten Commandments, or what we call the Decalogue. Uh, God's, uh, one of God's uh, early givings of a summation of his uh, moral law that um, he gives to Israel through Moses, and they have to agree to 100%. Uh, percent. And if you look in your prayer books, those black books, we have the Decalogue on page 317. Uh, and this is used often in church uh, for worship especially during this season of Lent. But churches do well to do it a little more often. Um, and actually, if you go to old colonial churches, they had, uh, like if you were facing the communion <laughs> table, often what was flanked on either side uh, was the Ten Commandments um, up there. So when you would look uh, at the uh, communion table, you would see God's law um, facing you almost like a mirror um, to, uh, to expose your need and um, the fact that you are a miserable offender. Um, so let me just read uh, how, as, it, as it appears in our prayer book. And if you want to re read the response in italics, go for it. God spake these words and said, I am the Lord thy God who brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have none other gods but me. Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Thou shalt not make for thyself any graven image, nor the likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down to them nor worship them. Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Remember that thou keep holy the Sabbath day. Lord, have mercy upon us, and incline our hearts to keep this law. Honor thy father and thy mother. Lord, have mercy upon us, and incline our hearts to keep this law. Thou shalt do no murder. Lord, have mercy upon us, and incline our hearts to keep this law. 
Thou shalt not commit adultery. Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Thou shalt not steal. Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Thou shalt not covet. Lord, have mercy upon us and write all these thy laws on our hearts. We beseech thee. Now that is a, um, <clears throat> an outline of, um, of, of the law. Uh, and there are more in the Old Testament. I mean, those are the, the, the sort of top ten. But, I mean, there are other laws that come the fall for the nation of Israel that have to do with dietary restrictions. As you know, now we call kosher, um, uh, you know, sacrificial system and all kinds of really obscure things about uh, menstruation and, you know, just, I mean, hundreds of laws. But this one here still, you know, stands for us, uh, the Ten Commandments. Um, and um, when... Uh, when uh, some people came to Jesus uh, during his life and asked what the greatest law is, he answered in this way. If you go to page 319, which we, the next page at the bottom, um, which we read more often than the Ten Commandments, because he basically said this when asked, well, of these ten, for example, you know, what is the greatest? He said, uh, hear what our Lord Jesus Christ saith, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Um, basically, uh, love God with all of you. You can sum up the first half of the Ten Commandments with that. Love your neighbor as yourself, as you would like to be loved. You can sum up the second half of the Ten Commandments with that. And he has the effect in the New Testament of, you know, you thought the law was really bad in the Old Testament, but it's even more impossible in the New. Um, there's an author who's the managing editor of uh, Christianity Today, Mark Galley, who wrote a, a book called Jesus Mean and Wild. <laughs> Because there's this uh, sentiment that Jesus is meek and mild. And although that's true, um, Galley goes on to say, uh, often what Jesus talks about seems to be kind of mean and wild. Uh, he, he has the effect of upping the ante with the law. Because what he says about these commandments in places like the summary of the law or on the Sermon on the Mount, remember where he says the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it was said, Da, 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 da. But I tell you this, you know, you heard it was said. He talks about, um, he talks about um, uh, anger, lust, divorce, making oaths, retaliation, uh, loving your enemies, and uh, just as an example with um, with uh, with lust uh, in Matthew chapter five, you have heard that it was said, uh, you shall not commit adultery, just as we've read right now. Uh, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he says something quite similar about anger. You've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But I say that even if you honk your horn at somebody when they cut you off on the 31, you have basically done the equivalent of murdering them. And so he's saying uh, the, it's not about the external activity. It's not what... Um, it's not what uh, goes 
from outside into me, but it's what comes out of me in my heart that defiles. Um, the, the intent of lust and anger, making false, false promises, things like that, that is in the, um, the deepest recesses of my heart um, is the problem. And the law goes right there not just against the, uh, the activity that you can see on the external, although that can be good or bad. Uh, the worst thing is what's inside of your mind, the thoughts that you have, um, or the feelings, the impulses that you feel like you can't even control. Um, and, uh, well, so what? <laughs> well, so what? I mean, th- well, then that is interesting. And remember I said at the beginning that there's sort of a misconception about Christianity, that basically Christianity to a lot of people, if you sort of go on a man on the street interview, if I worked for sort of a TV program and had a camera with a sort of microphone at Times Square and ask people about Christianity, what would they say? They would talk about moral improvement. They would talk about ethics. They would talk about things like uh, doing right and wrong. If, as long as you're sincere and it makes you a better person, you know, if that, that's right for you, because basically all religion is boiled down to sort of like ideas of, uh, you know, becoming a good person. Um, uh, that uh, is, uh, or you might hear somebody uh, say the B-I-B-L-E and the idea that it's basic instructions before leaving earth. Um, that's problematic because the Bible, uh, as you got the... Um, the Advent Magazine, I hope. At the very beginning, I put this quote from Sally Lloyd-Jones. We were saved not by a rule book. We were saved by a story. And what does she mean? The Bible's not, first and foremost, meant to be a rule book, basic instructions before leaving earth. But it's a story about God, about a great prince, the Son of God, who took on human flesh to save us. <coughs> And as he says elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, I did not come to abolish the law. Don't hear me wrong. If you leave this place, don't say today, oh gosh, the Advent is, um, uh, they don't believe in the Ten Commandments. Or Matt Schneider's crazy and licentious because he's saying, well, we don't need to live up to these laws because we can't. Don't hear me saying that. I'm saying, just as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, I did not come to abolish the law. It's absolutely true and righteous. I've come to fulfill it because humanity cannot. Uh, Somebody gave me this great little um, book uh, once because I often preach and teach on this topic because I think it's so core. Somebody gave me this book that says exceptions to the Ten Commandments and you open it up and it's it's blank. Exceptions to the law, the law is 100%, not 99.9%. Absolutely pure and holy and true, when the Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery, it means exactly that. And even more so when Jesus ups the ante and says, even if you've looked on someone who's not your spouse with lust, you've broken that commandment, which is, uh, and then at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he ends it by saying, he says, the exact phrasing is, um, uh, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, if we ended Matthew's Gospel at chapter 5, verse 48, we'd all be doomed. (laughs) But there's so much more in that story. As Sally Lloyd-Jones says, is not a rule book, but a story is the history of this son of man uh, who came to fulfill the law on our behalf. Be therefore perfect, 
just as we get down on our knees and pray in church, that phrase should drive you on the ground, groveling, saying, there is no health in me. I'm a miserable offender. Lord, have mercy upon us. Uh, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, when you hear this, that should be the natural response, because you can't. If somebody ever says, and I've heard people say this, I'm not a sinner, baloney. Baloney, because you can't. I mean, it's just, it's a part of who we are. But, you know, I say all this, and, you know, in in day-to-day life, though, uh, that was the law. Let me talk to you about the law in another respect. Uh, You could say with a lowercase uh, l, whereas the law of God might be with a capital L. We experience in our day-to-day life the law with a lowercase l in other ways. The ideas of demand in everyday life. I mean, just think about your profession or your career and the sort of different milestones that you're constantly trying to achieve, only to achieve one and then lose sight of the fact that that was such a goal and then you're on to the next thing. I mean, haven't you been there before? Maybe it's not your profession. Maybe it's something else. Or just keeping up with the Joneses. You know, whatever that means for you, if it has something to do with your house, the kind of car that you drive, the possessions that you own, or fitness. I mean, think about exercise these days. Golly, it's such a place of um, um, inescapable demand that you will never live up to. Uh, and, uh, and then once you do, you'll injure yourself and you'll, uh, and you'll not be able to exercise for six months and you'll gain more weight than you had before you started working out in the first place. Or social media. I mean, Facebook profiles that we quote-unquote curate uh, I mean, how ridiculous. Um, Instagram, Twitter, blogs. I mean, don't read blogs unless it's one I write for. Don't read the blogs, especially the comment sections. <laughs> Do yourself a favor. I mean, for those of you who are single and trying to date in this world, online dating profiles have to be the pits to craft that. Oh my gosh. I mean, I know what it's like to have a Facebook account. I couldn't imagine having to curate my identity online for a potential mate. I mean, that is the law uh, writ large. Um, Or just, you know, I often think about being a mother because I have a wife who is one, and then I see other young mothers around me. That is a place of exceptional demand these days, and it probably Probably always has been in terms of the kind of food that we uh, feed our child, uh, you know, the way that you go about pregnancy uh, and what you do during and the, the labor and delivery process. And then once they're born, the child rearing, you know, there's there are people who have knocked down, drag out arguments about the types of diapers that you use, you know, whether or not you should use cloth and what kind or the disposables. I mean, if you have children, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, if you don't care, God bless you. If you don't care whether it's Pampers or something else, God bless you. I mean, because life is hard enough. Or schooling, you know, once the kids have to go to school, uh, what sort of jurisdiction you live in and whether or not that means a public school or a private school and uh, the wardrobe that they wear and the extracurricular activities that they participate in. Really, it's kind of a thing that has something to do with you and the unmet needs in your life. Golly, or your spouses, if there's any sense of sort of competition in your marriage between you and your spouse uh, having to do with career or the chores in the household, that is the law. 
Um, and then once you have adult children, your relationship with them, I mean, often there are things that have to do, it becomes inverted and expectations your adult children have on you. I know because I'm an adult child and I have parents and I see people around me or the people you went to high school with. I refuse to go to my 10 year and 20 year and 30 year high school reunion because it's nothing but sort of one-upmanship. You know, I've seen the photos and I don't want to go. Um, and siblings. I mean, that's actually the worst. Once you become an adult, I've seen so many families wrecked by uh, uh, parents who die, who don't have their, their affairs in order with a will, and then the adult siblings have to sort it out. Do, if, you're, if you're like in the last third of your life, do your adult children a favor and get a will. And, uh, and, don't, and sell all your stuff because your kids don't want it anyway. You know, I mean, once you die, they're going to have a garage sale or an estate sale. They don't want it. This is all the way that we experience law in our lives. Uh, and the Ten Commandments and the law of God are just like it. But more acutely on a day-to-day -day basis, everything that I've just said is probably how life feels for you. And so in Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about these things and he says, there are these things in the world that I want to do, that I know I should do, but I cannot do them. And even when I do it for a little while, I fail. There are things that I know that I ought not to do and I try not to. And even if I don't for seven years, there's recidivism in my heart. Uh, and then he ends Romans chapter 7 saying, Who will deliver us? Who will deliver me from this body of death that cares about things like what kind of car I drive or uh, uh, whether or not I'm getting tenure or becoming a partner in my law firm or all the other demands that God's placed on our lives in places like the Ten Commandments, who will deliver us? And he starts Romans chapter 8 by saying, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord. And so hopefully this session has helped to bring you down low. Come back next week because I've ended with a taste of what's to come. Who will deliver us? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ our Lord. And the next session is all about Jesus Christ. What does he have to do with all that I've said? And how, uh, how is that the good news, the quote-unquote gospel, the Christian message? I'm so sorry, Lynn, the bells are tolling and we've run out of time to ask questions. But I don't want to hear your questions anyways because they're probably going to be pointed accusations that are mass hostility uh, because you don't agree with what I've said. And that's okay. Come back next time and hear Brandon Bennett talking about Jesus Christ. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. Thank you.